guys. Welcome back to Floral Couch Conversations. I'm Emily. And I'm Alyssa. I hope I got your laugh in there while I was introducing. <laughs> I'm easily entertained if you haven't noticed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel like I always have to like make my laugh shorter when I'm editing episodes. Because I'm just like giggling throughout the whole episode. Depending um, on the topic. Yes, when I've edited episodes before, I have like just shortened shortened them down a little bit. <laughs> But, um, anyway, we're still recording on Zoom right now, so that's probably why we're talking over each other, but soon we're going to get back on the floral couch. Yes. Um, because things are opening up. I went to a brewery and, like, people served me beer. How did they, did they have like a good social distancing plan and such in place? Um, yeah, it was, it was, it felt really safe. And I, not that I like haven't felt safe, like going out into other places, but um, it was not crowded at all. When we got there, there was no one inside. It was only like a few people outside on the patio and you walk in, you have to wear a mask inside. They point to like a list of it's like a CDC printout and they are like a Minnesota department of public health printout that says like, do you have any of these symptoms? And you have to say, no, I don't have those symptoms. And then they like check you into your reservation and then you can get beer from the, from the bar and then bring it outside. Oh, um, and then cool. you, you don't have to wear your mask when you're sitting at the table, but just if you're like inside going to the bathroom or ordering your beer. Right. So I thought it was pretty, pretty well done, like, and organized, and also it, it wasn't, like, holding things up, and they had, like, a good amount of people. Like, when we left, it was a Friday night, and, like, all the tables were full, and it seemed like it was socially distanced, but also, like, they were doing good business as much as they, as, as well as they could. Right. That's good. That's good mm-hmm. to hear. I um, went to the farmer's market this weekend, and they required masks as well um, to be in the farmer's market. Mm -hmm. And then um, afterwards, I was going to get coffee, but, and we realized that there was like a patio open, and yeah, they did the same thing. They had good social distancing, and like the masks isn't required at the table, but to get inside and order and all of that. So I feel like people are taking it pretty seriously. But also, we're like getting back to being able to support support our local businesses. Mm-hmm. And I actually went to the dentist too this week. Oh, and they did the same thing where you can't go inside; you have to stay outside until someone comes to get you. And then, like the hygienist comes outside, and she gave me like a fever, like a forehead fever check, and then had to ask about the symptoms. And then you go inside and you keep your mask on until they like have all their gear on. And then she had like a mask and a face shield and it was pretty normal except for, except for that. Yeah, actually you just reminded me too. I went and got my nails done (laughs) (gasps) and, um, (laughs) I, yeah, you had to wear a mask the whole time. They asked you to wait in your car and call when you were there for Mm -hmm. your appointment, even though I think they were still technically taking walk-ins maybe, but like they would make you go wash your hands immediately when you walked in then go sign in. And then like you weren't allowed to stay in unless you had a mask and you had to wear it the entire time, which Mm -hmm. obviously makes sense. So wait, let me see. They're just like regular polish because I still have some Manny Mees left. Um, but I just, like, more needed some help with my cuticles on my gotcha. fingers and toes, so. <laughs> Love the summer white. Thanks. It's got, like, a little, like, pinkish tone to it, but you can't really tell. I should do those. <laughs> I, sh- I still have a mani-me. I should, u- I should use it. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, I don't need to do gel anymore because, one, regular manicures are so much cheaper. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't need them as often. Like, I can do my own nails. But it's just, like... I don't have all the stuff, like the cuticle oil and all that fancy stuff to, like, take care of my cuticles, mm-hmm. well, I don't think, so. Anyway, that's my bougie self. <laughs> well, good for you. 
<laughs> I got an electric toothbrush. Is that bougie? You got a new one? Yeah, I've never had an electric toothbrush. Is it life. Quip? No, it's uh, uh, Crest or Colgate or whatever from the dentist. I bought it there. Cause okay. I was like, I probably should get this. Um, but they gave me like a tote bag. I feel like I should use it as my purse. It's like a blue dentist. Cute. <laughs> Good story. Oh, I request a picture of this. These are all <laughs> these are all the stories that we have. Like it's my going most ex- back to yeah, our my most place. exciting story is that I went to the dentist. <laughs> uh, I mean, I I have to say. I've loved and hated the, like, isolation of quarantine, though. Like, it's been very, I think, like, a lot of good has come from it, too, as far as, like, I've read a lot and, like, been able to focus on different things that I normally would just, like, be too busy to deal with. So, like, I feel like some positive, so it's, but it's nice to, like, gradually get back out there to, like, the socialization. (laughs) Right. Right. And I think we've talked about this before. It's that it's almost like more anxiety inducing to have to go back out into the real world and like figure out what is the new normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, are we still going to be wearing masks a year from now at people's weddings? It's impossible. <laughs> um, I think until there's a vaccine. Mm-hmm. craziness anyway that's our exciting lives so far <laughs> i would talk about how 22 states apparently according to the new york times have like spikes in cases but i don't know if we want to go into that i mean i'm open to how deep but i think are those the states that have mostly like um like reopened completely i think so yeah it was like arizona and florida and texas are the one yeah those are like the top three but yeah because i mean my city right now is still required any public place like you have to have a mask yeah i think i think minnesota is one of is like where they're actually declining still Mm -hmm. um but i also think that we haven't hit the point yet where we see if there's a spike like do the protests and people right um and stuff like that so and people volunteering and everything yeah were you gonna get tested or have you ever been tested no I probably should have gotten tested because they were encouraging people who like went out and like volunteered or protested um even if you didn't have symptoms they were telling people at least in Minnesota to get tested and I did not but apparently it's pretty easy um but I still haven't had any symptoms or anything so I don't know if that's irresponsible of me but I don't I mean it's not it's not like you're seeing a lot of like crowded crowds of people either you're still social distancing so as long as you're not like going and sneezing on strangers yeah, I was wearing a mask. I was outside. I was wearing gloves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my sister, um, she had a doctor's appointment, so they required her to get tested as a precaution two days beforehand. Oh. Just to, like, as they require all of their patients, I guess, to do that, just as, mm-hmm. like, a precaution regardless of symptoms. So she went to a drive through one, but it sounded like, I don't know, I think it depends on who does the training, because, like, whoever did it, she said it hurt so bad and it had, like, a bloody nose for, like, <gasps> a lot of the rest of the day and I was like I don't think that's supposed to be how it works like I've never heard of anyone else bleeding like I know it's uncomfortable because it like they stick something so far up your nose but like I don't know that they're supposed to be like no that kind of scares me I know so now I'm like really going to avoid having to get tested at all costs while also being responsible if the time comes that it's needed. <laughs> yeah, well, I kind of want to get tested just to see if I've had it, you know, like if, if I was asymptomatic or because I was sick 
and like had like way back in February when we got back from Mexico like I had like minor cold symptoms but it was like a burning in my nose which is um what like some people have described like I didn't lose taste or smell or anything but I don't know I feel like it's possible yeah the downside with the antibody test though um my mom got that because they did it for she works at my grandma's nursing home part-time just so she can see her because otherwise she's not allowed visitors mm-hmm. um and so they tested all the staff for antibody and she got her results back and they were negative but they said there's like a 50 percent error rate so hmm. so that's that helpful yeah so well, um, i mean it could be there could be you, better tests out there well if you get like do you have to get the antibody test to see if you have antibodies or like will it tell you if you have the antibodies if you just get the regular test I think there's a special my understanding and I haven't done a lot of research but I think the test tells you if you currently have it and you have to do the blood test antibody test in order to see if you've ever had it okay I guess that makes sense well but I'm sure it's always evolving getting more accurate so i've also heard and here's us just like spreading things that we've heard um (laughs) that the cdc has come out and said that people who are asymptomatic are not as likely to spread it as they thought i feel like i heard that too like it's um um like, it's more, like, surfaces and things versus, like, like breathing in the same air if you're asymptomatic. But I don't – I have not, like, done any research to know how accurate that is. I also feel like the data keeps changing. I'm, like, masks are really good. Everyone should wear them, too, only if you're sick. Or, and then it's, like, oh, no one should wear them because they could also cause these other lung issues. And now, like, everyone should wear them. And – I don't know. I feel like we're learning. Everyone's learning so much <laughs> every like, day. That's just the thing. Is like you can't you can't complain about wearing a mask. You can't complain about how different governors are handling it because no one knows what the right thing to do is, and everyone's just like trying to do their best, except for the people who suck. Um, <laughs> except for those people. <laughs> um, but did you see that Under Armour is making a sport mask? I do feel like I got an email about that, actually. I saw it on LinkedIn, of all places. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I seems interesting. Also, someone was telling me about how they saw a person where they, like, cut out, like, a the fly on a pair of jeans and made it into a mask but then you could like unzip the fly to like eat or breathe or drink. Oh my gosh. I was like, that's kind of clever, but like not, not super breathable fabric. No, not at all. Also, I feel like that's the same as like lifting up a regular mask to eat or drink. Like you're still. <laughs> right. <laughs> you just look cool because you have jeans on your face. I've never thought I would hear you say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> jeans well, on my face, but don't call me a jean face. Jean face. How dare you? <laughs> um. Anyway, let's move on from this topic. <laughs> um. Okay. So. Yes, so we talked on our last episode about how we are committing to doing a monthly um, educational anti-racist resource. So uh, we read White Fragility last month, and then um, this upcoming month we'll do a different one. Um, It's probably going to be a documentary or film of some sort. We'll kind of switch up the mediums, keep it keep it interesting um but we both decided this past week to watch hidden figures um mainly because i just hadn't seen it before and i've been meaning to watch it for so long and i can't believe that it came out in 2017 and i feel like i've been like 
thinking it just came out and like, oh, I need to watch that, but it's still been three years. So um, I was glad to finally watch it. Yeah, I feel like I'm never up to date on movies anymore. Like I used to be, I feel like when they first came out and now Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, I'll get to it eventually. And then it's like, oh, that is six years old. Oops. Like, (laughs) yeah. Um, so what do you think? I really enjoyed it. I feel like, um, there was so, so much to take away and so much to discuss. Um, but I really, I think my favorite part was like, throughout the movie, one huge theme was women uplifting other women Mm -hmm. and like the solidarity. And that just like makes my heart happy because of all the other negative things that were happening throughout the movie. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was a good balance of, like, uplifting and also, like, that uncomfortableness. But I do feel like they kind of disguised some of the uncomfortableness in order to make it more watchable for white people. (laughs) I was thinking that, too, throughout. I was like, okay... I'm liking this white male character. Is it because he's actually doing what he should be doing, like, as far as being an advocate? Or is it because the movie is making me think that he's, like, a white savior and I need to, like, analyze this more? (laughs) Yes. Okay, so we haven't really even talked that much about it, but this is what I was here – this is what I came here to talk about. (laughs) Um. So I went, after I watched the movie, I went and did, like, a deep dive into seeing, like, which parts were historically accurate and which parts were, like, added or, like, changed. Um, And two things stuck out to me. Um, A lot of it was pretty accurate, but the scene where the guy, and I think, and I think this bothers me because it was like such an important scene in the movie where um the what was he the director guy like Kevin Costner's character um yeah he was like the boss um yeah I don't know what his title was uh, or his name in the movie honestly (laughs) the NASA guy in charge um after uh Catherine um like gets caught needing to go to the bathroom um and like she has to literally run a half mile across this like NASA campus to get to the colored bathroom and so they're like where have you been why do you keep disappearing for like 40 minutes at a time and she's like okay I have to go to the bathroom there's no colored bathroom around here um and so then they make this big scene of the boss guy going and like taking a crowbar and smashing down the colored bathroom signs and saying like there's no white bathroom there's no colored bathroom and that never happened so historically they abolished colored bathrooms and like segregating um, offices and bathrooms and that kind of stuff back in like the 1950s at NASA and this movie apparently took place in 1961 Um, so it was like already a thing that they weren't segregated. Um, and so, um, they asked the director about like why he kind of included those scenes because the other scene that isn't historically accurate is the, is that same boss guy, um, letting Catherine into like the control room for like giving her the The end, like during that Atlas Yeah. So that, that never happened either. Um, and going back to the bathroom thing, they interviewed um, the real uh, Catherine and asked her, like, if that was true. Um, and it was actually Mary Jackson was the one who would run back and forth to the bathroom. Oh, um, interesting. In real life. And Catherine was like, oh, I just used the white bathroom. She's like, I used it for years before anyone said anything. And, like, when there was a complaint, they just dropped it because it didn't matter. Um, hmm. So when they asked the director about why he added those scenes, um, like citing that it, it kind of was like that white savior complex, like they needed to add, add in this character to say, to show that like, 
or to make white people feel better to say like, okay, well, if I was alive back then, or if that was me back then, like, that's what I would have done. Like there wasn't, I wouldn't have gone along with, with everything that's happening. Um, and that's not necessarily true, but it makes people feel better to like, believe that. Um, and then they, when they asked the director about that, he, and like these quotes maybe were taken out of context but it was just like an article I wrote and or I read sorry um I didn't write it <laughs> right from was, the source <laughs> I was reading about this at two in the morning last night um but here I actually um, um while, while you're finding the quote mm-hmm. can I ask is it is the director a white man yes okay I should have said that okay. so that was one of the first things I looked up because I was like okay, yes, white man director. Um, but Pharrell Williams was one of the producers. Ooh. So, okay, so when the when the director was asked about, like, why he added those scenes in, he said, it was very upsetting to me um, to be questioned because I'm at a place where I've lived my life colorless and I grew up in Brooklyn. I walked to school with people of all shapes and sizes and colors and that's how I've lived my life. So it's very upsetting that we still have to have this conversation. I get upset when I hear black film and so does Taraji P. Henson. It's just a film. And if we keep labeling something a black film or a white film, basically it's modern day segregation. We're all humans. Any human can tell any human story. I don't want to have this conversation about black film or white film anymore. I want to have conversations about film. I feel like he's using the colorblind argument, which is not the point. You're not acknowledging the experience of black people. Right. Um, They... That's just the thing is they're not, um, and this is totally what we talked about with white fragility. Mm -hmm. Um, He's not commenting back to what was said to him. He's not commenting about adding in those scenes. He's taking it as the person calling him racist and him needing to defend himself. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he also like throws in, um, I think it's Taraji, Tara. Um, the woman who played Catherine like he's speaking for her like throwing her name in there and just that's the like I have a black friend like mm-hmm. argument like yeah so it's okay um, and do you know who Rachel Cargill is I don't think so um so she is um I think like an like a another racism educator and so I follow her on Instagram and she's been like um every Saturday she posts like a comment or like a response that she's seen from someone like a white person and like dissected it like educationally and said mm-hmm. and like took it apart and said like no no because of this and no because of this and so reading this comment I was like thinking back to the things I've seen um from Rachel and um, I was like, wow, yep, I could dissect this and know that it's coming from a place of white fragility. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, um, someone from the Huffington Post, Zeba Blay, um, like commented on his frustration And she said, it's a perfect example of how when it comes to open dialogue about depictions of people of color on screen, it behooves white people, especially those who position themselves as allies, to listen. The inclusion of the bathroom scene doesn't make Melfi a bad filmmaker, Melfi's the director, or a bad person, or racist, but his suggestions that a feel-good scene like that was needed for the marketability and overall appeal of the film speaks to the fact that Hollywood, at large, still has a long way to go in telling Black stories, no matter how many strides have been made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's super interesting, because I feel like those are the scenes that made us think, like, oh, he's he's advocating and um it's disappointing that they were not accurate and then basically you're taking history and changing it to make white people feel better yeah I am glad that I like did that research though because Mm -hmm. while I was watching the movie I was like oh like was this guy real like was he really like like instrumental in making um 
or like in getting rid of segregation at NASA. Like that's really cool. But then I looked it up and I was like, no, um, it's not about him. It's not about this white guy who like, even if that was true, like that he tried to like abolish segregation at NASA, like it's not about him. It's about these women that like worked their asses off, like went above and beyond every single freaking day. And like, because of that, they got ahead and like were finally noticed. (laughs) Yeah. And like did the things that they did to get us where we are now. Did you, um, research any of the other stories besides Catherine's? Um, a little bit. So I learned that, um, another scene that was added, which was also kind of like another white savior thing. Um, Mary Jackson never had to like go petition the court. No, I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. Because that's like the also like feel good about the white man scene. Yeah. I knew you were going to say that. Okay. Yeah. So that wasn't true. She just had to like contact the city and ask for an exception. And they were like, sure. Which is like still screwed up because like segregation at that point Mm -hmm. was only, was Virginia the only state that it was still like a thing in? It I'm not, sounded I'm not like in the, sure. the Maybe, movie like one made of it them. Apply. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it also said that the school that she went to was super like run down and like the school, like this, beca- because they had to run to different schools that were segregated, like their budgets were crappy. Like you can't, like, I don't know. I don't want to get too much into the weeds of this kind of stuff, but um, it makes no sense. Um, but another interesting thing, um, I don't know if we want to talk more. Oh, I do want to talk more about, um, the women. Um, so Catherine, um, Catherine Johnson, she graduated high school at 14. Holy moly. So they kind of showed that a little bit in the opening scenes of her mm -hmm. being like a genius, but they didn't specifically say like that. Yeah. So she graduated college. Um, or she graduated high school at 14 and then she married her first husband um, that was go- the global guy and she was kind of just like a housewife and took care of her kids and then um, went back to school um, and like got her <clears throat> degrees um, and then the other thing that wasn't as historically accurate is that her kids were teenagers when she married um Jim Johnson. Interesting. They weren't like little kids like they were in the movie. But why do you think they made that choice? I don't know, maybe to like make them cuter <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> yeah. They were kind of like, oh. Um and like tug at the um, heartstrings of her having to like be a working mom. Yeah. Okay. Another thing that I was thinking about though is the lat like her changing her last names. Um, like obviously that was a thing. Um that when you got married, you just automatically changed your last name. Um, and we've talked about this before, but I don't know that I really like that. Um, like each time her name just like kept changing and like kind of erased thing, the things that she did. Yeah. Um, I guess I feel like Maybe it was societal pressure, but she also could have chosen to want to have the same last name as her husband. That could have been, um, like, what she felt strongly about. So I don't know that, I don't know enough about why she made the decision to know if it was, like, her feeling obligated and wanting to, like, have her work under different names or um, if she truly just wanted that. Yeah. No, I get all sides of this argument. Like, I get wanting to change your last name to be the same as your husband. I get, like, yeah. But sometimes it just bothers me because I feel like I feel like your whole identity, like, before you got married, kind of, like, goes away. And I know it really doesn't, but I don't know. And I feel like that's why it's, like, an individual choice. Like, mm-hmm. If you... um Because I don't know that, like, a last name really, like, 
defines your work yes like and also I feel like it's different because you're a writer and you're putting your name on things Mm -hmm. versus like I don't like I'm not that tied to my name like I don't know besides like my degrees that there's much like where I've like taken credit as Alyssa Benzik for anything yeah yeah I wasn't like trying to argue either side I was just saying like it's an interesting thing I noticed um and also kind of her like being left off the reports that she yeah authored like I don't know it's not the same thing but it was just something I noticed no it would be interesting to know the why Mm -hmm. like um behind it and if the fact that her name wasn't on the reports to begin with factored into that yeah, the only, okay, the only thing that I wrote down about this movie is when they had the scene, first of all, I haven't said, but I love Octavia Spencer. She's an ugly Betty. Um, she's, like, my favorite. Um, she played she, Dorothy? Yeah, she was Dorothy. Yeah. Um. So when Dorothy and then Mrs. Mitchell... Yeah. Kirsten Dunst were in the um, bathroom um, and Kirsten Dunst was like, or Mrs. Mitchell was like, despite what you may think, I have nothing against y'all. And then Dorothy looks at her and is like, I know. And I know you probably believe that. Yes. Um, you're saying that spoke to you or that was like, didn't actually happen? Oh, no. I was saying that like stuck out to me. Like, that is, like, what we're still dealing with, like, very much so right now. Right. Um, Do you know, in any of your research, um, so Dorothy was very adamant about she wasn't going to go help them help NASA with the IBM machine or the computer unless she could bring her whole team with her. And so she, like, advocated for all of these other women. Was that factually accurate, or did you not find anything specific oh, on that? I don't think I found anything okay. specifically on that. Um, but, okay, was there anything else um, we wanted to talk about related to Hidden Figures? I guess the only other thing is, um, so I feel like the fact that we were aware of the issues and, like, skeptical of the white ally scenes Mm -hmm. were a good step but like what is next besides like everything in our daily lives we can call it out as we see it but as far as like I feel like we should still support movies like this because there's a lot of black cast members that are getting to use their voice to tell stories of black people that previously their stories weren't told like I had no idea about um Catherine or Dorothy or anyone else until this movie came about but yet it's still like adding to the problem Mm -hmm. um and something that I thought of or that I heard so I want to talk about um Nick Vial's most recent podcast because he had um, a guy named um, Tyler Merritt who who I will talk about but um, on that podcast Nick was saying like people are watching movies like Hidden Figures and The Help like The Help is like the number one watched watched movie on Netflix right now and um, they're seeing depictions of racism like back in the 50s and 60s where there were segregation and there were colored bathrooms and like horrible things like that happening um and like they're like people are watching these movies and saying like oh like of course that's horrible of course like that's awful and like I would never participate in that and like I would never think that that should be a thing and like because of that like they're watching that and saying like well well I'm not racist I'm not contributing to the problem because I think that's racist and I think that's wrong Mm -hmm. um but the point is it's like okay that's not the point the point is like it's within society it's systemic it's not just it's like so deeply ingrained that it's not just like 
I don't know. We've we've come a long way in so many ways, but also like it's just been disguised in different ways, like we read about in White Fragility. Yeah, a couple of things came to mind as you were talking. Um, one, the Daily Zeitgeist actually covered the help. Um, I think last Monday, maybe. So if mm-hmm. anyone's interested in their take on it, basically it's like a white savior movie. Um, <laughs> and then two, Rachel Lindsay was talking about how covert racism is worse than like. Like, she'd rather, on her podcast, rather just have, like, overt racism, so at least she knew where she stood. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting, because that covert racism, like, the white fragility, the I'm not racist, but yet I'm going to make this, like, insensitive comment, mm-hmm. isn't, like, dramatic enough for a movie, I guess? So, like, it's not something that's ever depicted. It's true. Yeah. And so, it's, like, how do we get more awareness without it being like these extreme examples that then aren't hitting home to people that are like, well, I would never do that. Yeah. Um, I thought about that, what they were saying about the help and then like comparing it to hidden figures. And I do think there was a couple of times in hidden figures where like when they were standing outside their broken down car and the police was pulling up and they were like, kind of all like got a little nervous and they're like, nothing's wrong with having a broken down car and they had to, like, talk themselves down from being nervous about the policemen pulling up. Um, and, um, yeah. So, that's, I feel like there was one other one, but that was just the one I thought of. Yeah. But, but yeah, a very subtle scene. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Tyler Merritt, who was on Nick Vile's podcast, is the guy behind the video Before You Call the Cops. Have you seen that video? I don't think so. Um, so it's a video he made actually back in 2018. He's kind of um, just like a content creator guy. Mm-hmm. And it's called Before You Call the Cops. And like in the video, he, um, it's based on like, a time where he was going on a walk like he goes on walks every day and he was walking with like a hoodie sweatshirt and like big headphones and he came up to like an intersection and was going to cross the road and he saw that there was like a white woman in a truck and that he like consciously like took down his hoodie took off his headphones and he was like I tried to make myself so small so that this like to protect this lady's fear like to make sure like to make her not feel scared of me um and that still even after he did that he walked past her car and she like kind of freaked out and like rolled up the windows and locked the door and that he just kind of like stood there and laughed and he he was like I wasn't laughing at her I was just laughing because like if she knew if she really knew like that I was listening to um bring it on the musical in my headphones (laughs) that I was about to cross the street to walk into the park to sit on a bench and call my mom that um and so it was like that kind of things like led to him making this video so it was like before you call the cops like just know that I hate bananas and like a whole bunch of like just random things about him as a person and um and so that video kind of went viral back then and then now is kind of resurfacing um and so Nick interviewed him and um another interesting thing that I I haven't finished the podcast I probably should have finished it before I started talking about it but um he um he's kind of like in bachelor nation somehow I don't know like I think he's friends with Wells um and because I think he lives in Nashville and um he posted like a photo with Wells recently um but the photo was from like two years ago and in the photo Wells is wearing a t-shirt from this organization that I guess recently has come out to be like problematic like the owner is like misogynist racist and like has said like bad things um and Wells is wearing the t-shirt like two years ago before like that information like came out um and so this guy Tyler posted the picture 
um, and he saw that there was like these people commenting on the photo like I can't believe you would post this like that shirt Wells is wearing like that's so problematic blah 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 and um, he was like wow I bet the people who are complaining about this right now are white and so and then he's like sure enough they were and he was like it's just like another like tiny example of white privilege because like you have the time to be caring about this kind of stuff um, and like blowing up my Instagram about like how good you post this picture. He's like, I don't have time for that. He's like, I have like bigger issues to worry about. So I thought that was kind of an interesting um, perspective. Yeah. And so then I thought about that when I was reading like deep diving into quotes from the director of Hidden Figures. I was like, is this me just like diving into this stuff and like being outraged about it just to like make myself feel better? Like, I don't, I don't know. It's so hard because I think like more information is better, but it's hard to know how to be the right type of ally or advocate Mm -hmm. and I think it's just important that we're having the conversation like we're exploring it like it's not like we're ignoring the problem and that's why I feel like like to my question of what do we do next I feel like we have to keep like watching these movies but like then having a conversation about what was problematic Mm -hmm. um and while you were talking I actually just remembered the other um covert racism in the movie that like stuck out to me and it was that bathroom scene and how throughout the entire movie, um, a Miss she, Dorothy called Mrs. Mitchell Mrs. Mitchell, but oh, Mrs. Yeah. Mitchell only called her Dorothy mm-hmm. until the very end when she was promoted and then all of a sudden had respect for her and called her Mrs. I don't remember her last name. Vaughn. Okay. Yeah, Mrs. Vaughn. Yes. And so, um, yeah, I feel like it's hard to know where the line is, where you're helping or hurting and like taking attention away from the important thing. But I think as long as we have the conversation, I don't know. I think it's a start and we'll, we'll map, we'll navigate. Like at least we're, we have to try. And then if we get off course and we realize that we're focused on the wrong thing, like we can redirect. Yes. Good point. Um, but to that same vein, I have a question, kind yeah. of changing the subject here, because um, I know we kind of wanted to talk about, like, what's happening in, like, MTV and yes. Bachelor Nation. Um, to, to that question of, like, should we really be paying attention to this? Like, is this really what's worth our time right now? Um, is the Garrett... Blue Lives Matter, Becca, and other Becca drama, what we should be spending our time talking about right now. And I know we're going to talk about it, but I just, like, I have that thought, like, okay, is me listening to, like, these other white people go off about their, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know the answer. I feel like I'm not, like, we're white women, right? Like, we don't, I I feel like I don't know what the right answer is. Um, I do think that one point, because I listened to Rachel's discussion with Becca about Garrett's post that was Mm -hmm. problematic. Mm -hmm. And one thing she said is she's tired because she's the only Black lead in Bachelor Nation to always have to speak on everything. Like she has to be the voice. And so she's like exhausted and she actually broke down on our podcast and it was like super emotional, but it was, um, I think that's a good point because to that point, like she's tired of having to address every single problematic thing that happens in the Bachelor Nation because it's not her job, but yet she can't, like she knows she's the only representative and so she feels obligated. And so mm-hmm. to that point, is it is it our job as white people to have the conversation? Or is it, I don't know. Yeah, I think, just thinking about it again right now, 
I'm glad that they are having those conversations because I feel like it's not something that is ever talked about on those types of podcasts. Like they had on Ben and Ashley's almost famous podcast, they had Becca, the other Becca, Becca Martinez, Mm -hmm. because she was the one who like called Garrett out initially. They had her on to talk about it. And I thought she like was really well-spoken, made a lot of good points. um, And they all kind of like said their piece on it. And um, I think it is good that they're talking about it because people who are listening to this podcast, like it's not a given that they're paying attention to what's happening in the world right now. So maybe like this is their, their dose of it. Um, But I was struggling with just like, is this the best use of my time right now when like there's so much more out there that I could be be learning about instead of listening to like this person who's already been called out and has already like like have been having like further conversations with people. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's a good point. I don't I lost my train of thought. I would have had a comment in mind. But... It's okay. I don't think we have the answer. We're just we're just wondering. No, and to that point, I don't think we need to give merit to or like even talk about specifically what Garrett said. Mm-hmm. I um I feel like if you want to learn more that um Rachel Lindsay and Becca on their podcast had really good conversation and Rachel didn't hold back and I think um there was definitely some white fragility showing. Um, and, but there's also like a mutual respect. Mm -hmm. So it was a very good, honest conversation. If you do want to dive more into that specific issue, I would recommend it. The, the only thing, I think I didn't listen to that whole thing because I was just annoyed at what Becca was saying. Like, I feel like she really had a lot of general statements and she was saying that she, had had conversations with Garrett and her family was talking to Garrett, but she never specifically said like what those conversations were about and like what, what her views are and what she was stating to him. Um, Like she never specifically said what she, what her views are. Um, And then unless she got to that later. um, No. Yeah. And then the other thing is that, they should have had Garrett on that podcast. They just had her speaking for him and like protecting him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that he is going to be on Nick Vial's podcast, um, but that he, when Nick reached out to Garrett to be on the podcast, he also asked if Becca could come on too. To like protect him. I mean, probably just be Keep the him buffer. From saying something stupid. Yeah. Um, that is interesting. One other point I thought was interesting, and I don't know where it was in the podcast, but Rachel made a point about how, like, like, not knowing and being educated about Black lives at this point is a choice. Mm-hmm. And so, because I think there was, like, the, I grew up in a small town, and, like, I've used that excuse before, like, I didn't have to face deal with it. Like I, so I chose to not let it like affect my life. Mm-hmm. And that was a choice, whether I realized it or not, that mm-hmm. was a choice. And so there's not really an excuse for not being aware or at, like continuously educating yourself now because you have all the resources. Like you're making a choice to actually not do that if you're not doing that. And I thought that was an interesting point. It is it's important to note like you can't sure. claim you can't claim ignorance in 2020 no it's privilege it's called privilege it is <laughs> called privilege <laughs> um the other thing that i um heard on another podcast this week um uh, was on taylor nolan's podcast um let's talk about it. And I, I don't, don't listen to her podcast every week, but she's a therapist. So I, I listen to some of her podcasts. I love her. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had, um, less from the balanced black girl podcast on, um, 
and less she used to be the balance berry and she was like a fitness instagrammer and then she kind of changed because she saw this space this like space where like black women weren't really represented in like the fitness community and like having a podcast um and so she created this podcast called the balance black girl and um so taylor had less on her podcast and they were talking about how they've both gained a lot of white followers recently and they've kind of noticed like a boost in their Instagram followers and they're like wow a lot of white people are now following me and they kind of talked about like how they felt about that and how they both kind of felt like it was a performative action um, of these people to follow them and then um, they felt like in turn because of that they needed to be to like perform and like talk about blackness and like talk about like um what's going on right now and like they felt pressured to like educate these people that were following them um but then they kind of like dialed it back and were like no like we hope these people are here just to expand their worldview and um like they kind of proceeded like with that notion but I just thought that was an interesting thought yeah, it's interesting because I don't think anyone has the magic answer, right? Mm-hmm. I also was listening to Rachel Lindsay has another podcast with Van. I think his name is Van. Mm-hmm. He used to be on TMZ. Um, higher learning, and, right? Yes, higher learning. And so I listened to the first episode and the rest are in my queue. But even they disagree on um, and have like good conversation and good perspective, both sides on like what a white person's role is in mm-hmm. what's happening right now. And so like, it just made me take a step back and say, like, obviously they both agree that nobody should be doing nothing, yeah. but like how, what the right answer is or the way to be an ally or what is performative and what's genuine. Like there's disagreement amongst um, everyone and no one knows what the right answer is, which doesn't help but also it's like I think it's a good perspective because like we're never done right so I think to that point no I I get what you're saying um it kind of goes back to like a conversation we had earlier this week where I was like is my posting performative like do you think that (laughs) that I'm like posting too much and like these are the things that like I'm thinking about um and you were like no I don't think so like these are things that like you're actually interested in learning and like um like want to share with other people so and and that's true like before I've posted something I've like done a check like okay is this performative is just me posting something just to post something or is this like something that I found helpful that I want to share with people um and I think it's a little of both, um, to be honest, but, um, I, but, but some, but most of it is just like, I want people to know this information. Um, Uh if it's like, um, like facts, like, Hey, this is what's happening and you should care about it. Yeah, I've, I don't know. It's hard to know what the right answer is because there isn't a right answer. I've struggled mm-hmm. with that too. Like I was silent on social media and it's really because like I've been focused on like family stuff going on and I just like wasn't as active on social media. I would like read other stories, but I wasn't posting anything. Mm-hmm. And so then last night I had time to like do more research and like, I don't know, I think that to the point about the problem with Blackout Tuesday, I like to go through the search, um, the hashtag of BLM, because you can find a lot of good information. And then I go through and I like try to educate myself in the things that really um, stand out to me is what I share. But then does it look like I'm checking a box every week? I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't want to be silent, but I also don't know, like, where it crosses that performative line. Right. Like I've heard the term value signaling and um, how like 
oh, you're just value signaling. But it's like, I feel like it's important to value signal in some in some extent. Like you, you want to sh- tell people this is what I care about. And mm-hmm. this is so I don't know. I don't know. Everybody's doing their best, hopefully. Yeah. I also um, wanted to ask your opinion. I mm-hmm. um, was hanging out with family this weekend, and someone took a picture of me pushing my goddaughter on a swing, and I thought it was, like, really adorable, and it was just good to spend some time with the fam. And I, like, thought about posting it, but then I was like, I don't want to go back to just, like, posting everyday life and have it look like I'm stopping, like, trying my best to be an ally, so I didn't post it. Is there like when is it okay to post content like without it looking like I'm and why do I care what it looks like too I don't know I struggled with like is it okay to post content that I would have posted before all of this happened not that it should have been the wake-up call that I needed but it was Mm -hmm. and when is it okay to post yeah my own info my own pictures while also not stopping advocating okay so my personal opinion kind of bounces off of the thing that um miles was saying from the daily zeitgeist where it's like or or that he posted the thing that was like hey you just found out you made the team we have track meets every day um and like to that analogy like okay you're on the track team you practice every day you have a meet every day you're working hard at this one aspect of your life that doesn't mean that all other aspects of your life stop like you still go home after the track meet and like push your goddaughter on a swing so <laughs> I think you can post it as long as you're like you're continuing to do the work you're not just like stopping all efforts yeah of the track meet yeah no I like that perspective maybe I will post it I also think it's interesting because to the perform performative aspect and we've talked about this with social media like it's not like I'm gonna post that I had a conversation at that same family gathering about why you can't say all lives matter mm-hmm. and like I don't like need credit for that but I also am worried about what it looks like you know and yeah I, um, can we talk about having those conversations? Yeah. Um, so you recently had one. Yeah, yesterday. Um, so does it, like, did it start with just, like, a comment and then you saying, like, no, that's not okay? Someone was telling me that they had suggested someone redact an email to say, like, remove police brutality from an email because someone they worked with was married to a cop. Mm. And I gave kind of the, that's like saying the all lives matter. I like was, it was just in conversation and it was, I gave the all lives matter analogy because that's kind of what it's saying is like, no one's saying that everyone else's lives don't matter and I gave the analogy of like the house on fire Mm -hmm. and you don't need to hose them all down um just the one that's burning and then another group of people kind of chimed in and I don't know that I made my point but I also like know that I didn't stay silent because it turned into well what about the um like no white people didn't protest when um the black guy I think if he was black I don't actually know threw the white kid over the thing at small America and I was like well, <laughs> what a Minnesotan example right Seriously. I was like a well, random minute oh my gosh well I feel like I've had that like other examples too about what about this white guy that was shot I was like the difference is the person was arrested right away they knew justice was going to be served mm-hmm. they're not excusing the actions of someone when they do it bad it's that like our black, the black community can't be guaranteed that anyone is going to serve justice. And that was the point I tried to make. And I, some family members were just like, I don't believe that. Like, I think you're wrong. And they didn't have any facts. And I mean, I don't know that I changed anything, but at least I feel like I got some other perspective out of there. And I feel like at least one person maybe was thinking about it more. I don't know. But 
it's 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 hard to know where to keep pushing when I don't know that you can change everyone's mind. Yeah. Well, I think yeah, the point is to not stay silent. And the point is to keep working on what you can do, and that is working on knowing the right things to say when that kind of stuff happens and um, like staying calm and not Mm -hmm. becoming like emotional because like we know people don't react well to that. And then um, on the other side of it, it's like when you, and this is what it's talked about in white fragility is like when you get called out, don't just like say, no, you're wrong. I don't believe that. Like, take in what the person is saying you don't necessarily have to respond and so like you never know like they could still be thinking about what you said and like maybe they're not gonna admit right away that yeah that they are changing their minds because that's the other thing is like it's okay to change your mind yeah it's okay to stray from what your political party or what you think your political party is telling you to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I definitely had the thought of like, is this even worth it? Like saying something, but I was like, no, like I made a vow. I'm not going to stay silent when I hear something that's racist. And so I did speak up, but I don't know. It doesn't make it easier. It doesn't make it not uncomfortable. Like white fragility talked about, but and it, it does help because I feel like I am continuing to educate myself and have like eloquent responses where, but it's still, I, I like panicked and ha- like in my head, I was like, do I say something one and two, what am I going to say to make a point? Because like, it's not like top of mind for me yet. Mm-hmm. Like it's still, I want to be prepared. You're still learning. Exactly. Which I forever will be, but mm-hmm. <laughs> Have you had to have any conversations? Um, I have had some conversations. Um, nothing where, like, someone has said, like, overtly something that I've needed to call out. But yeah. it's just having conversations with family members um, about what's going on and what our role is and what we should be doing um um, a couple of girls so I went to a catholic high school there were two black people in my grade I think they were the only two (laughs) in the school um and um and so I've been having conversations with some of my high school friends um like talking about our experience growing up in that community and how that shaped us and how like we are reflecting back on that now um and like how things could have been different and how like things might have turned out differently in our lives if we would have had like more of this type of education in our high school curriculum um and Uh, So I've just been having those conversations personally. Um, And then there's a couple um, alumni who are a little younger than me who um, actually like called out that this um, high school like hasn't said anything. They haven't made a statement about what happened to George Floyd or anything that's going on right now. Um, And like genuine or not, a lot of companies and organizations are at least saying something and um this like school has not come out and said anything um and so a petition was started where they were like it was going around on social media like hey we need as much students current students alumni like people in this community to sign this petition like asking this school to act and like asking them what their um like action items are going to be going forward to like combat racism in our society like systemic racism in our society um so i signed the petition (laughs) not to be performative right now but um i just think that like it's those types of things too like um 
like majorly calling out like things that you are a part, like organizations that you're a part of. Um, and so I'm glad that they did that. And I kind of wish that I would have been like a bigger part of um, kind of coming to that realization. But, but I was having conversations about it with like people from that community. So. And I mean, we're works in progress, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I feel kind of weird talking about the conversations, like, too, because it sounds performative. Like, give me credit. I did this thing. Yeah. And that's, like, not the point, but I also, like, you asked about it, and I think we're on this, like, at least you and I are on this journey where we're still trying to figure out how best to use our voices. Yeah. And so it's helpful to discuss. Right. That's, that's exactly why I asked is I wanted to learn from you, like what you did in that situation and what you learned from it. Um, Like if you made any mistakes, like what you're going to do differently. Um, And yeah, I think it's helpful for us to, to like support each other in this journey. Um as cliche as that sounds, but that's what we're doing. It's a journey. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we say that all the time at work about things. <laughs> Corporate um, speak, life yeah. speak. Yeah. So here we go. We're, this was our track meet. This was today. No, track meet number one. Mm-hmm. We only have the rest of our damn lives in the words of Miles, of, Miles Gray. I always say Miles of Gray because that's his Instagram handle. I like that name, Miles Gray. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking I would love, and I don't know that this would ever happen, Miles Gray and Rachel Rachel Lindsay to be a guest on the Daily Zeitgeist. I just feel like it would be so powerful, but I don't Did know. Did they ever they, talk about Bachelor Nation on there? Um, Yeah, when there's, like, things in the news. Mm-hmm. So, because they cover, like, all the trends, like, anything that's trending, essentially. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing Monday we'll talk about Matt James being the first black bachelor casted but um but yes obviously always open to learning that's why we're here that's why we're talking so we're having these conversations and i think we will um keep having these conversations um but also mix in our mix in our regular lives and mix in our um because this is part of our regular life now Mm -hmm. um but we're also pushing our god god daughters on the swing so yes we're we're keeping a balance so we can stay energized to fight the fight yep and again if we are open to feedback we may not respond immediately because we might have to take it back and think about it because (laughs) We are fragile white people, but we're trying. So if you do have any feedback about anything we've said, like we're works in progress and we acknowledge that. So. Yep. So thanks for listening. Yes. Thank you. Thanks everybody for listening to this episode of Floral Couch Conversations. You can find us on social media, Instagram, Facebook at Floral Couch Conversations. And if you have any questions or want to reach out to us, floralcouchconversations at gmail.com. And if you're liking what you're hearing, please tell everyone you know and leave us five stars. Thanks, everyone. Bye.